we've been very honest, like death, she's gone. We can talk to her. We're Christians. So we think we'll see Nana again someday. But I have been, they've been very allowed to ask questions. So there's never been that, oh, she's somewhere over the rainbow sort of fluff. Nope, she's gone. We won't see her. I'm sad. Mom, where are you crying? And I'm like, I'm sad. Hi, I'm Sarah Kuhn. Welcome to the Juno Women Podcast, where I sit down for candid conversations with women who are experts in their field and share their specific knowledge so that we can become better equipped to handle all things motherhood. Juno Women is an extension of Juna, a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your trying to conceive, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. Everything we do at Juna is designed to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. Today, I'm talking to Lo Mansfield, a registered nurse and creator of The Labor Mama. On this episode, we dive deep into the concept of motherless mothering. Both Lo and myself have bonded over being moms, but also not having our moms available and present to us during this period of motherhood. This is a raw and emotional episode that will hopefully help any mama out there who's in a similar situation. I hope you enjoy. Hello, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and to talk about what we're going to talk about. Yeah, I know. It's going to be a heavy topic. So yeah. forewarning, we, I guess, Lo, you reached out to me. How did, I guess, how did you reach out to me on this topic? I follow your Instagram and the app and your podcast. And so I think I, I did I talk either. about, did I talk about the No, moms? but no. I emailed you. And said, hey, do you have any interest in doing a podcast episode? Also related to like labor, delivery, birth, whatever. And mentioned that I had lost my mom. And then so you had said, oh, I actually want to do a topic about essentially motherless mothering. This is like really good timing. And so it went from there. But it was just random. Instagram. No. The world. I okay. <laughs> okay. I was I was like, I don't because I don't talk about it much and it's so interesting. Yeah. It's such a it plays such a huge role in my parenting life right. that it, it is interesting. So why don't you firstly, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself so that the people that are listening know I'm Lo Mansfield. I started an Instagram account and kind of community about a year ago called the Labor Mama with the hope of basically passing on all of my nursing education and experience in labor and delivery and postpartum to other people. So I spent my nursing career in labor and delivery and postpartum and felt like that kind of knowledge of what actually happens when I like get out of bed for the first time after my epidural, like really specific kind of knowledge is really valuable to people because we do classes and we teach you broader stroke things, but not the specific. I will tell you exactly how it goes when you get an IV or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that was my hope with that community. I love talking about these maternal wellness spaces. And so it was like, it was COVID and I was a little bored and missing working because I'm not at the bedside right now. So I started this Instagram account and it has just grown. Clearly people like this education. Obviously there's lots of women doing what I'm doing or what you're doing, but I've found a little space and it's been really fun. So social media wise, I do that. I am a nurse, but I left the bedside actually right when my mom was dying. So you guys will hear more about that in this conversation. I have three children now. So I have almost five, a three-year-old and a seven-month-old and married, live in Colorado And yeah, you just caught me in a space where I really miss my job, but being home is the right thing for us. I love what's happening online. So I'm seeing how I can push into that and continue to talk about and teach about what I love, even if it's not happening at the bedside right now. So 
Yeah, it's, it's a great way to, to bridge the gap, bridge the gap between <laughs> like patient side versus connecting with a lot more people. Right. It's a weird balance too because there you cannot replace like putting your hands on another like woman's body and helping her have a baby. Right. Like mm-hmm. I could help a million people have their babies virtually, but that's not the same as helping one woman deliver her baby. So there's a sweetness to there that can't be replicated, but I can touch or educate, I would say so many more women virtually. So it is weird. The pros and cons of both areas of healthcare. Now that we have this, these virtual platforms too, it's wild. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So you mentioned a little bit, but your, I guess, give us a little history on Story. your relationship with your mom and then what had. Yeah, you and I connected here to talk essentially about motherless motherly mothering, and you can share more too, but we're both doing this without our moms, especially like more recently. So I had an amazing relationship with my mom. My fam- My parents were married my whole life, lived in the same house our whole lives. Two sisters, I'm the middle daughter. Um very normal, very cliche. There were hard things. There were good things, like just a really good, healthy, decent upbringing. And as we got older, our relationship with our mom actually did get better. Like you hear about, especially when we all ended up married, my sisters and I, and then my sisters both had children before me. So I got to watch my mom lean into being a grandma and hands down, she was basically living to be a Nana in these later years of her life. I did move from Washington where I grew up to Colorado. So I wasn't with my mom like day in, day out in the last few years of her life. My other sisters actually moved away too. So we were as close as possible without living next door to mama and having her like come over and make dinner every night. So she was sick off and on her whole life. She had like autoimmune disorder, which those can linger and be annoying forever. She did get diagnosed with breast cancer really young. So that's mm-hmm. like kind of part of my story now too. And then interestingly, we had five granddaughters in a row. So we have all these little women now with like this. Wow. I know, isn't that wild? My son was the first boy, so six (laughs) grandchildren, and we went girl and then just had my son. So we just have this little legacy of women. So breast cancer is now this interwoven part of our story. And then she also got diagnosed with multiple myeloma a few years later. She had her spleen removed. That's like really significant to your immune system and response. And so she just was, she just kept beating things. There was never this like, hey, your mom's going to die. You need to come home. She was in remission from breast cancer. Just a really convoluted story. But when I was pregnant with my oldest daughter, so first pregnancy, she got diagnosed with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And she, the prior spring, had some respiratory, she had flu and a fungal infection, all this stuff at the same time, which had gotten her very sick very quickly. And she spent about a month in the ICU. So unfortunately, that new cancer diagnosis, so if you're keeping track, that was the third one, came about four months after that ICU stint. And it was just Mm. pretty clear that the chances of her beating something after what had transpired were probably pretty small. And yeah, through... There were were you, preg- you were pregnant at the time. I was, okay. yeah. So okay. interestingly, when I told my mom that I was pregnant, it was when she was in the ICU and we had planned a trip home to do other things and then she got sick. So we kept the trip and I had gone to my ultrasound appointment, like that first eight or nine week one. And I just remember it so clearly because it's such like a vivid season two now. But mm-hmm. I looked at my midwife and I told her we really need a win today because I was just terrified that I would have a loss because they are common. And then I'd also go home to my sick mom and have to like do all of this and hold it all at the same time. So 
uh, that my daughter was healthy and well. And so we went home, we told her, but she was in the ICU. I honestly don't know if she like fully understood she was pretty sick at that specific moment in time. So my whole pregnancy, my mom was sick. And as the pregnancy continued, she got sicker in that you could see things weren't working. So chemotherapy wasn't effective for that Hodgkin's lymphoma she got diagnosed with. I live in Denver, which sounds silly, but I'm at altitude. So because she had so many lung issues from that prior spring that I just talked about, she could no longer come to Denver and be with me. And then she was getting sicker. So Things just unraveled from that like mother-daughter dream to it. My mama's going to come spend two weeks with me and she's going to be with me and my baby. And then it was like, she'd be, you know, alive. Is this even going to... So I'm going to go pause ahead. you because I just, I want to ask a couple of questions Please. about what your experience was like. So you got pregnant, you're excited, you're thrilled. You have this wonderful news that you want to share with your mom. I know that for me, that was yeah something I went through too. When did you come to terms with the fact that like this, like a, like this excitement and wonderful thing that you were doing for your family, like was tainted, like for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. like now you're dealing with all of this other stuff and that it also wasn't going to be what, what you had dreamed of it to, how did you reconcile? So I think that's been a process almost in having subsequent babies too. Um, Mm -hmm. Because that was one of my hardest things also in finding people to like share with or feel like I had people to be there for me because like I was pregnant, which was so fun with two of my best friends. Basically, we were all two weeks apart. So we were doing birthing class together. We're growing these babies together. And more or less, people are excited and they're having a baby like they're not dealing with some crazy heavy thing at the same time. And so it's just this joyful, anxious season for sure. But And so it was hard to hold both because it felt like, where do I go and say, hey, I'm really excited about what's going on, but also have this horrible thing going on too. Who wants to listen to that, if that makes sense? Oh, totally. So, of course, um, people can find space now in like virtual spaces and virtual communities and stuff like that, which those are lovely. And obviously, I'm a proponent of them in my own space. But I think that was actually one of the hardest things. I was 30. I was very young. None of my friends had lost parents. Now I've had one additional friend lose a parent, but still pretty alone in this experience. And so my husband and I honestly didn't really know like where to go or who to talk to. He has a husband and supporting me as a wife and now a mom. So I think I found that there was some kind of rid. It just took some processing in second and third pregnancies because they were then marked as well by the things that I had that had happened in the first one. So like my first ultrasound, I had all these memories of that first one with my go getting ready to go home to my mom. And so I think it just has been almost like the redeeming to some degree of pregnancy not having to be so heavy or so broken or being able to share it. The, the joy more than the pain almost happened because I had more babies. I know that's not a perfect answer to your question, but we didn't do it well, ultimately. Like we didn't know where to go. And we did a lot of this in isolation, not because there aren't people who love us, but because nobody knew how to walk with us and we didn't know what to ask for. Did you do any therapy while you were pregnant? I did not, no. And I did after I lost my mom. Yeah, so con- so continue. Sorry. You, okay. That's okay. No, so... The only th- the other thing I was going to say, too, that was interesting with being pregnant, that initial pregnancy and my mom is like balancing the weight of working in labor and delivery and all. So it was just this con- 
So you see all the bad things and they're one in a million, but you still see them. So you can't forget them. So I'm like balancing the reality that pregnancy has some very hard spaces. They don't always go well. Balancing the reality of my mom also over the moon about being pregnant, like wanted to be a mama my whole life among other things too, but definitely. So it was just such a weird, uh, sometimes it's so nice if you can find the friend who's like a nurse like you or a wife like you, because the more you, it's just hard to find the people who can lean into all the nuances of your life, which are obviously lived individually at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like I said, we probably didn't do that well, but we were also caught up in the whirlwind of a baby, my mom. And then I was also getting my master's, which sounds crazy. So even though that season was like rich with hard things, it was also like wildly like efficient. And I was getting things done. I love my job. I don't even know how I did all of that at eight, nine months pregnant. Because now when I'm eight, nine months pregnant, I just want to die. So <laughs> thank goodness it was my first pregnancy when yeah. I was like, this is fun. I feel amazing because mm -hmm. number two and three didn't feel quite the same like physically. We had Emmy, my daughter, uneventfully and pregnancy was uneventful, which is great. I don't know that I could have handled other things at that time. And then we just started bringing her home. So I'm still in Denver. I still am here now too, but bringing her home to Washington. It was really clear I couldn't go back to my job. One, I didn't want to. Two, I knew I couldn't handle watching other women become grandmas, watching other girls get to share their births with their moms. And then I wanted to be with my mom. So it was like an emotional, a necessary choice, a familial choice, lots of things. Interesting little side note, my daughter was born on my mother's birthday. So that was oh like the coolest, sweetest little miracle. So at the time, my mom was still alive. She died when my daughter was five months old. Um, okay. So at the time, it was like, I can't believe this happened. And now it's like even more bittersweet and lovely and hard, but pretty mm -hmm. cool for everything that was going on. I spent my first postpartum becoming a mom, losing my mom. I do think my daughter saved me. I know that sounds a little dramatic, but I thought it was a setup for like postpartum depression. And I actually had nothing. Um, I felt, feel like whatever joy I found in her tided me over somehow. So that was a cool surprise, honestly. Mm -hmm. I thought yeah. I, that we were, I personally was going to get rocked by PPD. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the premier app for every stage of motherhood with a 12-week trying to conceive plan and workouts, key nutrition information for every week of pregnancy and postpartum, plus six full video courses on birth prep, breastfeeding, newborn care, infant sleep, sleep from four to 12 months, and starting solids. The app is designed to be your number one companion from trying to conceive through your baby's first year of life. It also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises, pelvic floor prep, daily tips and notes from me that are relevant to the exact things you are experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears and preventing the dreaded gestational Google mania, that sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. Juna is available for both iOS and Android. Just search Juna in the app store or go to Juna.co. Again, that's Juna.co. The app is completely free to try for seven days, and if you decide it's not right for you, you can cancel any time within the first week. No questions asked. Download Juna today and get started. Now, back to the show. 
So you, she died when your daughter was five months old and you, because I think for me, one of the things that I didn't expect was the, the constant feeling of grief anytime something new happens. And I'm curious if, if that's been your experience too. So it's okay. She dies at five months. You've had time to process this. Like obviously that's it's still because it's coming, but then she dies what was your I guess like what was that initial state like of grief and then how did it look over the next let's call it year yeah so with my first daughter I feel like I was in people probably can relate to this um almost that grief bubble like where it doesn't settle in the reality of it doesn't settle in for a while and so my mom died at the end of April my daughter had been born in November and in September, this is significant to me because obviously my husband and I, I shouldn't say obviously, but for us, we weren't doing the greatest job, like showing up for We just didn't know how to do this. He didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to do it. And so I just poured myself into being a mom and he was working and traveling still because life goes on. And so in September though, I sat him down and I was like, this isn't working. I don't think I'm actually okay. I don't think we're okay. We got to figure out how to do this because the grief is still everywhere and we can pretend like we're okay, but I'm not okay. So it was a few months later where I started, I saw a therapist a little bit, but actually found that I like individually was doing okay with what had happened. I was really comfortable talking about it. I wasn't dealing with some of that like shoving it down, like losing it in the grocery store because it keeps popping up sort of stuff. Um, you were not. I was not. Okay. No. Certainly in the first few months, like the tears came out of nowhere all the time. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, I never felt like I wasn't dealing with something and I had to get it out or, it yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not a stuffer. So for us, I we needed to address our marriage and how to like best love each other because everything just got flipped on its head. And then I have found, this is where I always feel like this is discouraging, that the grief has almost gotten harder as the years have gone by. Like time heals all wounds is like the cheesiest, most untrue for me thing ever. Because my sisters, I think, would say the same. It just becomes more permanent, right? And more, and it's not that visceral, like weeping response. Like I said, like that was more mm-hmm. the immediate uh, months, but as I watch the kids start to do things, it's just that nonstop, you can't call her, you can't call her. When we had our other babies mm-hmm. and I would watch, it's happened both times because I've had two since this, I watch everyone else come in and hold them and come visit. And the refrain in the back of my head is always, it's not her though, like it's not mm-hmm. her. And it's not because anyone else is not doing it right. Or it's just the non, my husband Skypes like on Sundays and calls everyone. And I still mm-hmm. four years later think, I'd never get to Skype my mom. And that's not something that debilitates me. That is not something that stops me like living my life with joy. And so I don't intend that to be discouraging to people listening, but I do think it's nice to understand that you may carry this in a different way, but like, it's not going anywhere. I think sometimes we think it does get easier. And I would say it's not easier. It just like changes shape. Like the yep. way you carry it feels different, but like it's a jacket I'm always wearing. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm, I'm glad you said that. Cause I, I think about 
the stage of life that you and I are in right now in that we have three young kids under six. And for anyone listening, it is a total shit show. Like it is, it is <laughs> so, I don't know if it's true for you, but I, my husband and I are not complaining people, but we are drowning. <laughs> and part of me is like this state, I'm so resentful of the fact that my mom is not able to help because I watched her like with my brother's kids and and she's just, this was what she would was living for. She could not wait to be a Bubby. And like, that was just all she wanted. And I just think like how different this would be for us. And I like sometimes do get stuck in it and I get like mad. And I feel like part of that grief is not, has like not been fully processed because I just, I keep experiencing it in new ways. And I'm just like, this sucks. Cause like life, didn't need to be like this we had imagined to be so different and now this is our reality and it sucks um and I think every single thing that happens in our life whether it's I mean to your point like like my husband facetimes his parents all the time and like my dad is a wonderful human being but he's just never been like the Faith, he, you know, like if he wants to see the kids, but like it's also like it's, it's just, it's so different. Like my mom mm-hmm. was like that glue to the family and making sure it feels like I always make this comment, but I'm like, my mom had this ability to just find me endlessly interesting. And now yeah. who finds me endlessly interesting? Yep. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> I, yes, I resonate with that so much. I just shared something on Instagram last week. I had a horrible day and I was writing one of those, hey, me too posts like friends this is hard I'm not even gonna tell you you're doing a great job because that's not actually what I want to hear right now like I just want to know like someone's in the trenches with me because ultimately yeah I know I'm a good mom it's fine we're all doing fine but (laughs) when I was writing that and thinking about it it was that idea of like I long for the woman who still looks at me as her baby like for the woman who still says how are you before like she asks how someone else is when I had my kids I remember thinking I don't have the person who says how's my girl like being Mm -hmm. me like where my mom would be like how are you how's your body how are you healing everyone's going how's the baby how's the baby we all do that I totally get that but mamas are probably the one who's also like and how is my baby and I'm asking ever again like how is my baby and that is you can be 30 or 13 or I'm imagining 60 as well. And you still want that person who finds you interesting and yep. matter more than the person next to you. And ultimately, I think that the, it's only the mothers who look at you that way. Yeah. Yep. So. I, I think about, um, and you too, like, but think about how many times you, your kid tells you a story that first of all, there's no point to it. It's, and we've been practicing from such an early, like an early age. I don't know, Luca's, th- you know, Kyla's three and I've been listening to her stories for two years. Like, it, and you're just like, oh my God, sweetie, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I will have been doing that for 30 years yes. and, and And like, that's my job as mom. And so to not have that feels like we've been robbed. We have. Yeah. And and I, again, it's really hard. It's just a tough, it's a tough thing to process, especially when I, and I get that not everybody has that relationship with their mom, but but I did. And and it sounds like you did too. And it's just, I, I imagined motherhood to be so different. And I also 
The other thing that I think has been really challenging is is like we've had to figure it out by ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I, I like to think that I turned out pretty good. Like I'm a functioning human being that, you know, like I, I turned out fine. And I want to know the choices that my mom made when she was raising me and my, you know, like my siblings that helped us get here. And I, cause I, I only know it from the child's perspective and my dad's like, I don't remember. I don't remember. Oh, and, or his memory is totally different than yes. like what is accurate. And I'm <laughs> like, and I just know as a mom, it's different. And like, she would have been able to offer very different advice and experience. Like I remember the first time I was like my, my dad and mom came and I, for anyone listening, my mom has had early onset Alzheimer's, hasn't known who I am my, or my kids are or my my dad in years. And the downfall started, I don't know, 10 years ago. And by, so by the time my first child was born, like she was there, but wasn't like, I have pictures of her holding my son, but this was not like she was a shell of her former self. And so I remember my parents being there and I was having a really hard time breastfeeding and I'm talking like I was like melting down. Like it was really bad. I was had an LC come in. And after she leaves, I was like crying. And, and my dad goes, and by the way, I love my dad. He's wonderful. But this is just something a dad would say. It's probably something anyone would say. But he's, oh, your mom never struggled, never struggled at all with breastfeeding. And I was like, don't even understand. <laughs> I don't even know how to deal with this. First no. of all, it's. It's as a mom, I know that's not true. Yeah, like, I, it's I, not as true. Someone, as someone who has breastfed, like, and she she breastfed both her kids, like, I know that that is not true. Yeah. Breastfeeding takes practice. It is so hard. Everyone struggles with it. If you haven't struggled with it, like, you're like the the unicorn, right? That's is why there's so many resources out there to help you. That is not true. And I feel like had my mom had the ability, she like you're out of your. And it's like those little things where I'm just like, oh, I just like wish I had a different experience with this. And those come up all the time. They do. And I I think I wonder sometimes, and I'm sure someone out there could speak to this, like, will it be less as our kids get older? Because you know how it feels like when your kids are little, it feels like every day there's a milestone, right? Like yesterday, mm-hmm. Quinn could say one thing and now she's saying another thing. So you're like, oh, I would tell my mom about this. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it doesn't stop. Like our kids are always, like we said, as moms, we always find them wonderful and interesting and equally hard, but that's another topic but we and so I do wonder if the season of littles maybe feels even harder because they're always doing something you want to share with somebody because they're funny and they're quirky and they do stupid things and yeah maybe I will have more insight on that 10 years from now but right now it just feels every day I would call my mom and tell her something if she were here at least once if not twice Are you a breastfeeding mom needing to boost her milk supply or a nursing mom wanting to maintain good milk supply during your pregnancy? Well, we are excited to introduce you to Golacta, an all-natural galactagogue and superfood. Many moms and health professionals around the world are calling the Miracle Supplement. 100% made from nature's own galactagogue, their pure moringa leaves are farmed by Golacta out in the Philippines. Vitamin C, calcium, potassium, and protein. Moringa leaves pull double duty. They're both plant-based superfood and a galactagogue. So both moms and babies will reap the nutritional benefits of the moringa leaves. 
Added to being an amazing superfood, Golacta is the ideal supplement for nursing moms as it is not only clinically proven safe to use while pregnant, but because of its superfood qualities, it also provides moms and babies the key nutrients they need for healthy living and growth. I wish I knew about this during my breastfeeding journeys, but I'm just glad I get to share this with you today. You can buy yours today from the Golacta website, www.golacta.com. Available in easy-to-use capsules or in a powder so you can incorporate it into some of our amazing smoothie recipes in the app. Use code capital GL-JUNA21 for 15% off your first order. Once again, you can order today on their website and use the code GL-JUNA21 for 15% off your order. Yeah, it, it feels like a constant punch in the face every time I can. And I and those like those do feel like much more frequent than infrequent. And so I guess I want to hear a little bit about your, you said it was a little more of a cathartic, happy experience with your second and third, like your subsequent pregnancies. How did that, how for you? So my second was actually the worst. So okay. now I'm speaking from the hindsight of now having the third as well. So mm-hmm. I think that my body and mind and heart, however you want to look at it, because I absolutely believe it's all connected. So that saying like your body keeps score. And then at mm-hmm. some point here it all comes. That was <laughs> like my second pregnancy and second postpartum. So mm-hmm. my second was a little bit of a surprise in that she wasn't fully planned. Um, but obviously we know how babies can happen. So I don't like when people say they were that surprised. So it had been le- like less than a year since my mom had died, obviously still in like the throes of grief. I was a new mom. My first child was, she was one at the time when we found out we were pregnant. So they were going to be like 20, 21 months apart. But I had lost like a ton of weight after my first pregnancy and postpartum. Probably a combo of breastfeeding and not caring for myself. So I just went into it, not like physically. I had a great like uneventful clinical pregnancy. So I'm super grateful for that. But I just got rocked postpartum. So I feel like the transition from one to two was way harder for me than zero to one, even with losing my mom. So that's a personal thing. I know people would say the opposite. So that was hard for me, like mentally balancing, juggling. They were both babies. 21 months and zero was hard for me. And then I got significant postpartum anxiety that postpartum as well. So that was where it felt like everything that had been at bay or that I I really don't think I was ignoring things. I think it just, here it all came. So the anxiety was more for myself than my children. So I thought I was going to die. I was like, I got to see a dermatologist because every mole is skin cancer. I have to do breast cancer follow-ups, not cancer, that sounds bad, breast follow-up stuff all Mm -hmm. the time because of my other history. So it was like every... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Have you gotten, did you get tested for the BRCA genes? So my mom was BRCA negative. So there were two like BRCA1 and BRCA2 you could test for when she was alive. But now there's 14 or 15 different breast panels or however you want to say that they check Mm -hmm. for. And I have been, I've denied it the last few times. I could totally do it. My older sister decided to a while ago. But I feel like whatever I learn will simply cause me fear and not change the way I'm like living because I've already like, I exercise and we try to eat. Like I can't do that much different to change Mm -hmm. my, like my possibility of getting cancer in terms of my own control over those things. And so I see my doctor, I do imaging all the time. Like I'm following the rules for someone who's Mm -hmm. higher risk. So it feels if I 
get tested um, because interestingly, my grandma has had breast cancer and now one of my mom's half sisters. So there's probably something lingering in there, but knowing it won't change anything for me. And I think it would just cause me fear. So we've decided not to. And then I'm more like when we know we're done having kids and I'm done nursing, let's do it. And then if I need like double mastectomy, Mm -hmm. take them. Like I got to do the things I wanted or hope to do as a mom. It's probably on the agenda someday, but I have denied it up to this point. But I do all these checkups and follow-ups. So it's just this, it was this constant pressing fear. Like I'm going to die too. I'm going to leave my kids. They need their mom. I need my mom. It was just so messy. My poor brain was a hot mess. I was having headaches, which now I believe were largely like hormonal and exhaustion, like Again, my body just couldn't do anymore. But the longer they went on, the more scared I was of them. I got an MRI. I saw my PCP in there. I did start medication for anxiety and definitely went in there by choice. I know I have anxiety. I know I have this stuff. What can we do? I will take medication. Like it was out of control in that I fully recognized it and knew like something was not okay in my processing of life events and my mm-hmm. body and stuff like that. Did I, it help immediately? The headaches continued. I had an MRI after about um, seven or eight months of them and knowing that was clear helped just in that I wasn't like, oh, I don't have a brain tumor. Okay, calm down. Mm-hmm. And the headaches interestingly stopped when I got pregnant with my third. So mm-hmm. I think the medicine helped, doing some healthcare helped and that I, people were like, you don't have skin cancer. That's just a mole. Like I did have to do some of the things, which I probably shouldn't have had to do. I should have been able to just logically reason myself out of them, but that's not how it works. So, or it's not how it worked for me. So I'm still on the medication. I did stay on it through my third pregnancy and postpartum. The other interesting thing, which is like unrelated physically, but I had Demer dysmorphic milk ejection oh, reflex yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with my second. And so that was another reason the second was just an absolute kind of shit show because Wait, I'm just going to kick back up because I, for anyone listening, I just, do you want me to talk about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like I could do a whole podcast on it because this is becoming like more and more prevalent. Yeah. I think we're more aware that women have this than we didn't know it. Right. So dysmorphic milk ejection reflex, commonly called DEMER, is when essentially when your milk lets down, there's this hormonal response that we all have. And when you have DEMER, the hormonal response is inappropriate. Your dopamine falls too far, which dopamine's a feel-good hormone, if you guys remember biology or whatever in middle school. So dopamine's a happy hormone, but it does have to fall to allow for milk to be produced and let down and all this stuff. And so when your dopamine falls too low, you feel like crap, just like it, any other feel-good hormone when they get too low. And so every letdown, so you can feel it at the beginning of a nursing or pumping session, you could feel it throughout because many of us have multiple letdowns. You feel, you just feel horrible. It's usually people feel sad when they breastfeed, anxious when they breastfeed. It's described as like a pit in your stomach, like a nauseous feeling. It's not a physical response, like you're not actually sick. Um, you can't just treat it with a medication to like up your hormone levels. It's a physiological response to what is happening. And then you feel a certain way because of what's happening. I know that's a little confusing, but it's not considered part of the like postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, mm-hmm. mood disorders. It's right. a physiological thing. And if you can picture that, I did and was able to nurse my kids for a year. And so my second babe, 
it was 13 months of feeling you feel like crap and it comes and goes and it's about 10 seconds long but for me interestingly they people talk about deja vu feelings when they describe it so like that deja vu for me feeling was when I felt sad I felt grief over my mom dying mm-hmm. so it was like I could not get away from what had happened because of this deemer um so I the letdown would happen. Here comes these feelings. And for me, I was homesick. I would cry and then it would pass like just as quickly. I didn't feel it pumping, which was nice. I'm more or less exclusively breastfed at the breast, but I definitely pump and I didn't notice it then. With my third, I have it again. You usually have it the rest of your pregnancies or postpartums, mm. excuse me. And I feel it more with him in all forms of milk expression. So that's oh. annoying. But it's easier this time because I'm like, I know what this is. It's going to go away. I'm okay. This is a true knowledge is power here. So total side topic there. But if you have ever, I truly Googled why am I sad when I breastfeed? And this was Mm. the first thing that popped up. And my husband, he did a good job here. But when I was like seven weeks postpartum, he was like, what is wrong with you? You are Basically, you seem pissed off every time you have to breastfeed. This is what you do. This is what you want to do. You want to breastfeed. I don't understand. And I was like super mad at him because it's the whole, I should like breastfeeding because everybody wants to do it. And so there was like the whole story of good mom, bad mom, like what's wrong with me. So it's nice to know that there was something going on to explain the very negative feelings that were happening. So. And so do those negative feelings only last for, they really only last for 10 seconds yes. and then as soon wow. It's so wild, Sarah, because I could be like laughing with my kids and they're watching a show or something and I latch baby on and boom, it is like you are dropped down one of those rides where the stomach, your stomach falls out. Like oh it is the craziest, I don't know what to compare it to. If you're Harry Potter fan out there, there's these characters in Harry Potter called Dementors. And they, Mm -hmm. someone described it to me like this once. And I was like, and they basically latch onto you and suck your soul out, suck all the happy out of your life. And that Mm -hmm. is like the best fictional description I've ever heard of how quickly you just go from doing whatever you're doing to boom, like the bottom falls out. It is so weird. Yeah, and it is common, right? Yeah, it wasn't first brought to light until 2007 by an IBCLC who had it and was like, what is going on here? So that's pretty Mm -hmm. new for just the last 10, 15 years. And then I'd never heard of it in schooling. I didn't educate it, my parents about, or excuse me, my patients about it. I brought it up to my midwife and was like, is this a thing? Because I Googled it and I have it and I felt so dumb. Like I Googled it, but she was like, yeah, there's not a lot you can do, which sucks. But my, like my specific practice has social work, free social work follow-up. So they're like, you can meet with her and she can talk to you. And, but the more I shared, it was really interesting. Like the older nurses that I work with, like fifties and sixties even. And they were like, Laura, I had this with my kids. Like I hated breastfeeding. This has been around, I think, as long as women have been reproducing and we just chalk it up to breastfeeding is hard. Postpartum is hard. Like I feel crappy a lot of the time or I'm tired all the time. Like you could, I could easily have dismissed it as I think because of other things going on. Postpartum depression, hormones, we're all just hormonal, which we are, but so yeah this is different right it is and it's very clear once it's so clear and i could be like here it comes oh okay this sucks this sucks 
oh, there it goes. It's just so clear yeah. now in the like day of nursing. Some people quit. So I would definitely say get help before you quit breastfeeding. If you really don't want to, it can be that severe, but by and large, if you think it's you learn about it, know about it, dig into it more. It really helps to know you're not just like hating something you're supposed to love or something that helps right. a lot. Yeah. So postpartum anxiety, demer. Second postpartum was just garbage. So I went into my third terrified because pregnancies more or less have been fine. Labors and births have always been as good as they can be. Right. So postpartum is what I'm always scared of. Like maybe we all should be. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> and right. this one was really redemptive. And it was such a gift because I spent, I felt like I spent like three straight years just in the throes of like, death and dying and how does that look and family falling apart like the ripple effect of other mm -hmm. things and I had these two gorgeous babies but I wasn't enjoying them in the way I thought I should probably because I was also dealing with all this other stuff and so I'm sure the medication helped and has helped me through throughout to stay more like level-headed about things anxiety so much better yeah so pregnancy was great with my son I still struggle when I'm actually pregnant with those benchmarks. Oh, this was when my mom was X, Y, Z. Like when my, mm -hmm. like I could tell you up until my kids are five months old, I could tell you like, oh, I was in Washington with my mom when she cut her first tooth. Like there's a lot of little triggers. So that's interesting about being pregnant still. It's very tied up with losing her. And so it's almost easier when my kids, the pregnancy is over and my kids get past the point where I had her if that makes right, sense after five months yeah, right? yeah yeah and then whatever they're doing then is not tied to her and whatever mm -hmm. was happening with her but with my son mac the deemer was more of oh i still have it but that's fine i'm okay so that didn't feel so heavy anxiety like totally gone i am not anxious at all about myself or my kids it's just been a delight and i know that sounds cheesy because like you said i have three kids and i'm exhausted and it's really hard but somehow, even in the midst of that reality, he has shown me that postpartum actually can be really joyful too. And I think I just missed out on it because of everything else that was going on. So I, you know, I, like you said, I ache for my mom every day, want to tell her about all the things every day still. But this postpartum has been sweeter and that I'm better at holding both and like celebrating the one still breathing other so it yeah. just took time for me to get to place yeah how how has your husband been supportive in in this journey for you yeah that's funny I was gonna ask about yours as well because initially we did a bad job like I said and I were comfortable saying that but he ran and that he just kept I gotta travel for work and I'm doing all these things and I just don't think he knew what to do for me mm -hmm. in those months of I'm losing my mom I've lost my mom and I'm um, like pretty type A and have it together. I have air quotes up, you can't see them. Mm -hmm. But so I think even in those immediate months, it was like, she's doing pretty well. Like we're mm -hmm. the people, those quotes, like ask about your strong friends. That's probably what was going on is I needed people to be there, but I also acted like I was, I'm okay, thanks for asking. And so I think mm -hmm. even my husband took that to heart as well. So once I sat down and was like, hey, if we don't, course correct here we're gonna get lost because I'm not whole and you're probably not whole I mean he loved my mom dearly he lost mm -hmm. her as well 
And so once we did that, we did, it was more like marital counseling just to talk about how to talk to each other again and how to make sure like things aren't falling through the cracks. Very, it's funny. We had people like, oh no, you're going to counseling. And it was like, you guys, we're not getting preventative care, like getting a mammogram. Like we needed to go get a marriage mammogram. Mm -hmm, (laughs) So that has helped. We did that for about a year. I want to say maybe eight months and tried to get, I think, our foundation shored up again, merrily. And then since then, I think a lot of it, and this is, I don't want this to come off wrong. I still have to take the initiative sometime or the onus on me to say, hey, I'm having a hard day. Like, I just wanted you to know that. Mm-hmm. Or with the Deemer too, I it's really helps just to be seen in that. And for him to be like, do you still have it? I'm sorry, you still have it. And those things sound really small and really stupid, but like my husband doesn't tend to just ask every day like how are you how's your heart I don't know that a lot of partners do and so I've needed to be more communicative about just this is really hard or did you know that when you FaceTime your parents like I leave the room because I literally can't watch you do it sometimes and just be really clear about things like that and he's been wonderful in understanding that like he's never been dismissive of that or me saying I'm not mad at your mom but I just can't handle that she gets to be here and my mom doesn't because those are ugly feelings like they don't make sense if you don't feel them it can feel like he's never said this but I could see where I don't want my mom to die what do you want and so it's been really helpful to share that or to even yeah I've just been really clear like sometimes I look at pictures of your mom with my kids and curl up in a ball and die like and it's not because I hate your mom it's because my mom doesn't get to do it. Or even if my the kids' grandparents disappoint me, they don't show up for something and then I'm like, they don't know how lucky they are. Like, that's a dangerous space because they don't have to live, his parents, they don't need to live under some, oh, if Tammy were here, she'd be better. Mm-hmm. That's But those feelings are all there all the time. And so we've just talked about them a lot. And that mm-hmm. means me talking and me not just like stewing on a Sunday afternoon while he FaceTimes the whole world. And then <laughs> he likes I to face this just so deeply. <laughs> but do you find that you had to just say, hey, this is what I feel? He wasn't like, is that hard for you when I FaceTime my mom? I don't think he ever thought that. Oh. Why would you? And then yeah. when I told him, he's, that makes sense. Huh, makes that makes sense. Yeah, it is. It's. I think it's. it is a hard place for a partner to be because, and for me, I'm not like a, I don't want to call myself a stuffer, but I am. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to not be. And so I think like I I usually, especially with Eric, my husband, I like I process things internally before I start to talk to him, like before I start to talk to him out loud, whereas he does not. Like he's just, let's just, I'm just going to verbal spew whatever it is I'm feeling and which is a wonderful trait. But it's, so I don't think I've done a good job. I don't think I've done a good job of communicating how hard that is for mm-hmm. me. And instead, I'll say something like, you FaceTime your parents all the time during dinner time. And, and honestly, I feel like until we've had this conversation, I probably didn't recognize why it annoys me so much. Like I thought maybe it annoyed me because I'm like, dinner time is literally the worst time you could possibly FaceTime. Well, that is true. I just don't understand why this is why. But I'm sure like deep down also it's because I can't FaceTime my mom like during dinner time. And 
And it's just so that's just a it is it's a constant cloud that I think will always like will always be there. And and that's not to say that I'm not so grateful that Eric's parents are so wonderful and they love the kids and I'm so grateful that the kids at least have them and and my dad and it that's all wonderful and I don't want it to displace that but it still doesn't make me feel good that my mom doesn't get to do any of those. And I do think this is one of those very cliché like the longer you stuff it, the worse it's going to get sort of things. Mm -hmm. And so stuffer or not, like if anyone out here is in a similar season, I'd be, Mm -hmm. I would say like legitimately tell them it bugs you. It's hard for you when they like look at a photograph in bed of their mom with the kids and be like, look how cute this is. Like just say it. It feels so shallow or like silly sometimes, but grief doesn't make, sense right like the things you feel so like intimately that you've lost sometimes don't make sense like it can be the bag of cheetos in the grocery store because your Mm -hmm. mom loved them and everyone else is what and so i think that has been the most valuable thing for me because no one's ever gonna see you in all your griefs uh, all the moments of the day right like your spouse your partner they're never going to recognize all those little things that will hurt you so if you don't talk about them you just start stacking them up and feeling like you're alone with them. Yeah. So I have, I have one last question that I'm curious about, and that's like our kids are very young right now, and my dad has a girlfriend. Her name is Patty, and she's wonderful. And, and so it's interesting because we say like Pop and Patty, and frequently it'll like kids are starting to you know, be curious, and it's, oh, Grandpa <laughs> is your dad, and all these like making the connections. Okay, so Grandpa and Grandma are daddies mom and dad and then pop up in all these like weird little things you have to like start to explain Mm -hmm. so that's uncomfortable that I don't know if you if you're experiencing any of that yet but the other things like how are you going to make sure that your mom like lives on with your kids so the first to address the first point my kids for sure are asking, especially my almost five-year-old. Five-year-old. <laughs> they're always like, who was in whose tummy? Be pregnant right. and stuff too, yep. all the things. And my dad is remarried. Okay. So he does have a, a new wife. And then my husband's parents are both divorced and remarried and have been as long as my children have been around, okay. long before. So they have a lot of grandparents, a lot of figuring out like who's who in the family tree. And so we just always just keep trying to explain it or specific to my dad and mom were Nana and Papa. So it's Papa was married to Nana. And then after she died, he met Terry and and they got married after. So just, we just pretty upfront about it. And Mm -hmm. at this age, they're like, okay. And then they move on and you just kind of keep affirming like simply. Yeah, go ahead. I'm just curious. So how, how was that? How did that make you feel when your dad met someone? So that we always knew that's like a whole other conversation probably too. We knew my dad would not spend the rest of his life alone. So it wasn't like surprising or I can't believe you're doing that. My older sister, she's so funny. She's like the blunt one of us. And she was like so clear right away. She's don't dare marry anyone with kids. You're not raising more kids. Like I'm not having that. (laughs) So the, the person could have children, but not small children. Although my parents are young. My mom died at 53 and my dad was 55. So it's like, there are men who choose to have more children at 55. So yep. she, my sister was laying down the law about that. Yeah, it, it happened very quick for my dad. You hear that a lot with men that they are much quicker to get remarried after losing a spouse. There were things that were not done well and they're unrelated to like 
the topic at hand. And so it's been hard. It's been really messy just navigating all of that. And also I think when you're little and your parents get like divorced and remarried, perhaps, and I'm totally, this didn't happen to me, it could be easier because you're still a child forming relationships and you can have a relationship like with your mom and a stepmom and whole, I think like my sisters and I are almost like we're grownups. Right. And so it's mm-hmm. almost that mentality of this is our dad's new wife, as opposed to our stepmom. Do you, does that make sense? Oh, yeah. and, and she's lovely. Her name's Terry. And, you know, she's lovely. She's fine. There's no issues with her. Right. It's just more of that. Oh, like when I think about that, I don't think about her as a stepmom, but if I was no. five and my parents had gotten divorced, that's a right. stepmom. So I think that those dynamics are interesting to be technically an older child still. He's my mm-hmm. father in now this blended family as opposed to it happening 20 years ago. It's just another piece of the puzzle of navigating this new normal too. Super hard to watch yeah. her be with my kids. Not because, again, because she's done anything wrong, but because she's here because my mom's not. So that mm-hmm. was really hard and continues to be but really hard when my second was born. It had been like a year and they were together and that was hard. So those things get, those do get easier with time. Um, But that's remarriage, whatever age we are when our parents make changes is hard, complicated. Mm -hmm. And then when they're grandparents to your baby, more layers. Yeah. So that's definitely a layer to the all of the story too. And then what was the second question? Remind it was me about how are you going to make sure, like how oh, do yes. you talk to your kids about your mom? So we are super frank, one, about her death. I mentioned this to you a while ago, but I called in Dr. Becky and she on her podcast about like scripts for when you lose someone and how to talk mm-hmm. to kids. And, and it's what we've been doing. So it was cool to listen and be like, okay, we're doing okay. Because I agree with what Dr. Becky shared. But like, we've been very honest, like, death she's gone we can talk to her we're christians so we think we'll see nana again someday but i have been they've been very allowed to ask questions so there's never been that little you know she's somewhere over the rainbow sort of fluff nope she's gone we won't see her i'm sad mom where are you crying and i'm like i'm sad i miss my mom if she were here she would love to see you do xyz uh because the Emmy and my mom share a birthday, we mm-hmm. we are going to allow Emmy to dictate what that kind of looks like. I don't want her to ever feel like, oh, I share a birthday with my dead Nana. This is lame. Like my mom cries or something. I know you mm-hmm. said, I laugh because in other podcasts with you, I've heard you say, I'm not a crier and I'm such a crier. <laughs> so my kids are always like, Bobby, why are you crying? But so we choose more to celebrate like the day that she died and we call it her heaven day and but we celebrate like the last two we've done twice now with the kids we've gone to this river up here in colorado we just get outside the kids know that's the day my mom died my husband takes it off work so a lot of people would probably celebrate birthday for sure but i don't want to because my daughter and then i have found that i just weave my mom into our days a lot where i'm like Nana loved Rice Krispies. Did you know that? Like Nana this, mm-hmm. Nana that. And now they'll look at me and they'll be like, Nana would like this, wouldn't she? And they just choose to talk about her now. And I find, like, I asked my husband once, does that bother you? I feel like I'm talking about my mom all the time because I want, I don't want them to not yeah. realize she, where I'm not like, oh, grandma, that's one of their other grandmas. Oh, grandma loves Rice Krispies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, no, it's fine. This is all you get. If you don't yeah. talk about your mom, she's not here. And so- yeah. So I've been, it, it might seem over the top, 
it probably doesn't. I just am trying to be sensitive to, I think, like they have other grandparents too. My mom isn't like the only one. Mm -hmm. So I just weave her through the day. So they know foods that she likes. We'll make a meal and I'm like, oh, my mom taught me this. Yeah, I, we, this is like silly. We hung a wind chime in the backyard that someone gave me after she passed away. And when it makes noise, I say that, like, she's saying hi to us. And so uh, they're like, oh, mom, Nana's saying hi. Hi, Nana. And we just talk to her. Like, again, I don't want them to think, I'm trying to be clear that death is permanent and that there is a boundary mm-hmm. line there. And we have to deal with that in our lives. But we do talk about her. And it was hard initially when my three-year-old at the time started asking questions. And it's like, how do I do this and not cry all the time? Or I have mm-hmm. a, an eight-year-old niece, you know. And when my sister and her and my mom were best friends, I don't know how else to explain it. Like knowing that she lost my mom too was like devastating for all of us. And just watching kids process it is really hard. But we've found that letting them ask whatever they want and then sharing whatever I want too. Just having yeah. it be like, this is not a closed conversation. Any yep. question is fine to ask. And if I cry, I'll tell you I'm crying. And yeah, so I think that moving on we'll always celebrate her once a year in that sweeter way the day she died and then I just plan to keep talking about her it's so funny what my it's not funny but my (laughs) son was like my last son Levi was born on his on my brother who died on his birthday and we were like so thrilled because it was just such a nice like it's like now and I get my brother died when he was young and it 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 would be a harder thing to talk about to my kids because like he hasn't been in my life in 20 years maybe longer than that but and so now it's fun that it's like something that we can bring up with Levi when we're celebrating his birthday that it would have been his uncle Matt's but just all that stuff and Kyla was actually due on the day that he died and I just remember being like how that was her due date and I remember lying about her due date because I was just like I don't want to tell my dad that this is like when my daughter is born it is due and I remember being like okay if you go on your due date which I had gone on my due date with my first oh you had (laughs) because no one ever does (laughs) I know and I was like okay if you can find the good in this if if she ends up being born on this day you'll find the good in it but until then we're just going to ignore that's an even that's even happening and but yeah I think that's ironic that you and I both share that Mm -hmm. these people important to us they get to share a birthday with our children yeah I think and kids are so sweet in that like the, the the grief and the heaviness that you could feel, they do such a good job at acknowledging it, but diminishing it at the same t- time, if yes. that makes sense. My, on their shared birthday, um, right now, she's, let's blow out a candle for Nana. Like, they're like, this is fine. This is great. And so it allows me to celebrate things that maybe I otherwise wouldn't if they didn't mm-hmm. share that day or obviously if I didn't have children at all. So it's interesting like overall I'm sure we'd say the same all of us would but you would never not choose your children but like they I just feel like they were so intended for me in this season of not having her do I wish I got five years of her being a nana before she died yes but also Mm -hmm. like they have been such a gift in what I just can't imagine just losing my mom and just doing this life thing without the joy that they have brought me in in the middle of it all yeah it's a tough it's a tough 
it is just a tough season period. And I think like you and I will continue to connect over the years as we still navigate our motherless mothering, I'm sure. (laughs) And I'm sure we'll continue to check in and say, oh yeah, this stage sucked or this one was a little bit easier than the last one. But I I appreciate you coming on and being so open with your experience because I know that people that are in the same boat as us, like it's nice to know that like the crazy things that you think or feel or the grief that just keeps on going that you're not alone. So yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. I would say I have this one sweet follower and her mama Mm -hmm. is sick right now and she had her baby. And once she said to me, I'm so grateful for you for sharing your story because you have shown me that there will be joy after all of this. And I think I just said a lot of things about carrying grief forever and wearing a jacket forever or whatever. And I, yeah, I think I would want people to know if they're in it or they're going to be in it or find themselves in it, that there is so much good even after this and even in this. Yep. So yeah, I want that (laughs) to be where I end this statement is that it is good even when it is broken and so yes (laughs) yeah no that was a a wonderful way to end it so thank you so much do you want to just tell people again where they can find you sure so right now I'm just sending y'all to at the labor mama that's on Instagram I have a web page too you can get to there from my Instagram and then I'm building like a labor postpartum course more of that clinical stuff that I love but you will find out when that's like available and stuff from Instagram so if you want to follow along just join me there Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sarah. Okay, that's all for today. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a mama friend and leave us a review. If you're pregnant, postpartum, or trying to conceive, you can download the Juna app completely free for seven days. The app is available for iOS and Android and is designed to be your guide for all things health and fitness for this very special time of your life. If you have any suggestions for episodes you would like to hear or anyone you think would be a great guest on the show, please email me directly at sarah at juna.co. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.